Welcome inside the Legends Lounge, where baseball VIPs are hanging out and talking about their life in the game. Lounge time. We're back, baby. And we have a heavy hitter entering the club. I don't even know if there's room for all of us this week. Oh, the great big power. 600 plus homers. Exactly. Jim Tomey, who is one of just the, what, what did you call him? I was going to say one of the nicest dudes. Like a, I call him you uh, say Jim Jolly Tomey. Green Giant or whatever. I, I call him Jim Tomey is, is our homie. <laughs> Jim Tomey is our homie. There you go. Yeah, That's better. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, but he, That's he's a good way to special. put it. Yeah, he's something special and, and uh, doing a lot of great things now beyond baseball. So you got to really enjoy, you know, listen to what, what he's, in 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 about but but his his career you know spans what 20 plus years and you know multiple teams and just changing a little bit with the times you know being a pull hitter and then he goes opposite field and becomes one of the best you know left-handed opposite field home run hitters of all time i just think that uh jimmy was i'm looking forward to his story put it that way yeah, he is a great speaker. He is engaged. He makes everybody feel like they are his friend. I mean that in a nice way. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, no like doubt. where somebody he can enter a room and have a conversation with you and you're like, okay. And and you might even you might even leave the room going like, hey, I'm I'm best friends with Jim Tomey now. <laughs> Brother, real quick. I mean, I was at a game at the Trop and I ran to this guy, you know, after one of my shows and uh, the pregame show, and, and uh, he comes up, and he's a huge fan of the Rays. He's moved here. Guess where he's from? Cleveland, Ohio. He's telling me a story that he's at a restaurant one day, and Jim told me he happens to win, walk in, and he c- comes up to him. I'm a big fan. Jimmy gave him like a hug, and he's, and this dude was big, like my size, 6'4", 250. He said, I didn't realize how big he is, and he's larger than life. And he said it was like he was so friendly, and uh, he goes, he, he was my all-time favorite. You know, uh, Cleveland Indians. So that's Jimmy Tomey, uh, big and a big hitter, buddy. Here's our homie in the lounge. Big time Hall of Fame slugger pulling up to the club today. I'm talking 600 plus homers in 22 seasons. Feared power threat, elite plate discipline. So he actually walked a ton too, on base over 40% of the time. Humble, kind, responsible. Actually, all of those attributes really are perfect for his latest work too. Jim Tomey is in the lounge. And Jimmy, congratulations on the new role as president of the MLB Players Alumni Association. How you doing, buddy? I'm, I'm great. I am great. Good to be on with you guys. I know you guys have had a few former players and everyone has spoke so highly, which, you know, doesn't doesn't surprise me at all because of who you both are. And this is just I'm great. To, I'm glad to be on. And this is going to be a lot of fun. So thank you. Well, brother, uh, Jim told me as the line has always been said by many, Jim told me is our homie. And uh, <laughs> you're, 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 you're one of these guys that not only did you profess, let's go on the field, you know, there's presence and power and leadership, uh, but now off the field, you're kind of guiding, you know, a very important 40th year anniversary effort 
that is of presence and power and leadership. And uh, I'm very pleased that they chose you. I'm very pleased, number one, I guess, that, that you accepted it because, you know, it comes with responsibility, comes with time. Talk a little bit about that acceptance and, and how it's going so far. Well, it's great. And I, you know, first of all, I want to speak of Brooks Robinson. I think that's amen. When Brooks, when Brooks had this title for many years, I think one of the things Brooks did so well was, first of all, he was a role model. He listened to people and his kindness and what he, what he has stood for, for all these years has rubbed off on all of us. So when asked to do this position, to be quite honest, that's a, that's a big role to fill. And, and I will tell you, you know, just, just having the opportunity to talk to people, to talk with guys in the alumni. So, you know, the, everybody involved has said nothing great about Brooks and being able to, being able to reach out and ask Brooks questions about this role is really something that I look forward to because of that kindness and what he's meant to the alumni for so long. He, his main goal was to have the boys have a place that they could go somewhere and have a fraternity like we've all had when we played. And Brooks, Brooks is a wonderful man. I, I wanted to speak on that because of high, how highly regarded he is in the game and what he means to the game. And I will try to do my best to, I'll never live up to Brooks Robinson, but I know this, like he, I think every day when you see what he did, you want to push yourself, you want to ask questions, you want to learn about what he did for so many years and try to take that and now apply it to what I'm going to try to be a part of as well. And for the youngsters out there, look up Brooks Robinson. I do this every once in a while because it's fair. Hey, especially nowadays. I mean, we've got a crowd listening that might be, you know, 15, 20 years old. And you might have no clue who Brooks Robinson is because it's, it's well before your time. Uh, wonderful man. Look up, look up the defense a little bit, yes. especially, obviously, as a full player. But look up the defense. You'll have some fun, too. And he was the former president, for everyone listening, to of the MLB Players Alumni Association. So give us the lowdown. You know, what did Brooks tell you? And, and what is this role all about? How has it been for you thus far? I almost look at it also, Jim, as, and this is fitting for you because you've done this to many for years, you know, like this mega mentor for so many yeah. players especially that are, are just retiring that are saying what's next can you help yes. me make my next steps like there is a lot on your plate with this role that I think comes naturally with your personality and with your contributions to the game I've had people that are, I think the coolest part honestly is I've had people reach out to me and say how can we be how can I be involved how can I get involved and I want to give back. Ozzie Guillen, the other day, opening day, Ozzie was so passionate, especially when he managed. And the manager would come in and talk to players about what, when the alumni comes and speaks, how important it is for our great fraternity, fraternity to listen. And when Ozzie says, hey, Jim, I want to be a part of it, relay the message. That, I think, is the number one goal here is, to have our former players be heard and to be there, to be able to take a call. And then if you don't have the answers, 
pass it along to our great team that's out there and they can help all of us in that regard as well. That that's what I think Brooks did so well is, you know what, listening and actually listening to people on what they and let them speak is a big, huge thing for me. And then at the end of the day, grow and learn and, and, and be a part of this wonderful fraternity we're all in and that has been there for so many years. It is. And, and then it, what they've been able to build, you know, obviously Dan Foster and his fine group over there in Colorado Springs and, and beyond, because now we're, we're flowered uh, everywhere in New York, Florida, you name it, uh, is all these, you know, incredible reach outs uh, of altruistic uh, usage of our players, uh, Jimmy, you know, mainly in the clinics, but also yes. in, in, in being able to go and do public speaking or, or just visiting at hospitals, but those clinics have become, you know, worldwide and, and, uh, most of them free and most of them for, for underprivileged kids, uh, just for a minute, talk about that. And I, I know I've been involved in so many of them and how much fun that is to, to give back from our being able to teach. A hundred percent. And I think there, to your point, there are so many guys out there that have and, and have played the game that can reach out and do these clinics and give back. As you said, the traveling, traveling all across the country, all across the world and giving back the way we have. You know, I, I reached out the other day to Jeff Hickson and I said, look, you know, please, I want to be a part of this and be a part of this great thing that we've built and how these former players have been a part of this that wanna, that at the end of the day, wanna reach out and do things to give back. And that's that's what's so cool is we're all in this together. Amen. I'll finish the props for the MLBPAA because obviously they helped to put all of this together for us. So, and uh, their guest list is, Incredible. The Rolodex <laughs> is awesome. That's why if you're, you know, a new fan to this pod or old, um, you hear guests like this every week. That's what's going on behind the scenes. So, and we, and we do like Jimmy to talk about, you know, what we'll, we'll get into some playing stuff, of course, but what life is like after the game. So especially for you running a group like this right now, how was it for you as a player when officially you said, that's it. 22 seasons. I also, from the outside looking in, when you look at a player like yourself, I mean, you're a big dude. It's like the, the lumberjack build can hit the ball a million miles, 600 plus homers. And you played in the league for 22 seasons. But of course, knowing you now on a personal level, the, the, the smart smartness, the wiseness, the kindness, the whole deal. What did you say to yourself when you were done playing? Like what's next? It, it was, I'll be honest. It was really hard. It was hard to walk away to the degree that I think our heart always is bigger than where your body is or how long you've played. And then you have to make that choice of, okay, where are you at here? To me, for me, like, and I know every play, we all love the game. The hardest thing is to walk away and then not be a part of that fraternity. And But I, I will say this, the thing that helped me right away is when the White Sox called and asked me to come aboard and be a part of the organization and being around the game when I retired. So I really never stopped. I kept going to spring training. The only thing different was, is I wasn't 
you know, I wasn't putting a uniform on to play no more. But in that role, what I learned was you, we all have this role as we retire to give back and to give knowledge and to be around and breed positivity and spread the message of all the little things that we were fortunate to learn. Now we get to do this to young guys, young kids, minor leaguers, big leaguers, and to watch them go out and perform and do well is the greatest gift there is. It's to, to, to be able to work with Frank Menachino, who is a wonderful hitting guy, and then watch that kid go apply it in the cage and then go out and get two, three hits. There is nothing better. That, that's why you do this. And that's, I'm fortunate that, that they called early and it really helped the transition of my retirement. If I had not had that opportunity, I feel like it would have been tougher than it was because I love the game so much. Yeah, and and uh, you played for so long that uh, you couldn't help but but be so like it, it was in your blood. I mean, not that it's not in all of our bloods, you know, for all the years that we played, however many it was. But let's go back into that. Yeah, bloodbath that was uh, a major league <laughs> career. At times, fun. At times, you cried. At times, you sighed. And at times, you you know, you were lifted up high. At tw- at twenty, you were up for a minute. But, you know, you probably established yourself probably by 22, 23 with Cleveland. I remember those days we used to play against each other back in the day, especially in spring training. Um, that team was uh, dynamic and uh, especially offensively. Uh, but, you know, I was talking about those early years with Cleveland and, and coming up with them and, and, and how it felt for you. Well, I was fortunate, first of all, to be in an organization where, You know, we went from the old ballpark in Cleveland. We were moving into Jacobs Field. The vision, the plan was, is we had some talented minor league guys that were performing at the minor league level that had an opportunity to to get that chance at a young age. Myself, Manny Ramirez, the Brian Giles, you know, on throughout our organization, we gave young guys opportunities And, you know, like what John and what John Hart and Dan O'Dowd did and Mark Shapiro, they built this offensive team that could score runs. And it was, I've got to tell you, it was, it was incredible growing up in that organization and having guys like Sandy Alomar. We brought in Dave Winfield. We brought in Eddie Murray. We had Dennis Martinez. We had Oral Hershiser. So to go and have those types of veterans around us young players guiding us and, and learning from, I guess, their experience and then taking that into a team that then could score a lot of runs, it was, it was really cool growing up in that environment and being, being put in the major leagues at such a young age and getting that opportunity. And also, correct me if I'm wrong, you were a high school star shortstop, among other sports too, but you were drafted as a shortstop, correct? I was drafted. I was drafted as a shortstop. That that was probably, you know, look, look, in high school and college, if you can catch the ball, if you're athletic, 
typically you're going to play shortstop, third base, even second base. Uh, I, I think as I progressed, as I got through into the minor leagues, third base was the natural fit. And then as, as my big league time went on, uh, first base became evident that was that was the next move for me, which which, you know, when Albert Bell left, we had a chance to get Matt Williams and getting Matt Williams that moved me over to first base, which you do when you have an opportunity to get a Matt Williams. And it it helped the overall dynamic of our ball club and which helped my career as well. That that was John Hart and I had that talk about uh about moving over which really helped me so how were the characters on that cleveland team because yeah these are some names that when we're dropping them right manny and albert and um and kenny Kenny and many more oh yeah there there were a ton of superstar names yes so but also unique personalities Big time players too, as you know, Jimmy, and we see it sometimes nowadays with a, you know, a modern kind of, not necessarily a dynasty because they haven't won a ton of titles, but like a team like the Dodgers where it's full of superstars, it can be difficult for the manager based on playing time. And you can't, I mean, not everybody's the top dog. So what was it like working with such a crew like that? You learn quickly that you better be ready to play every day. And if you if you did not work and try to master your craft and be ready to go every day, there was another guy waiting to come in to take your job. Now we were all a family and it never felt like that. It never felt uneasy to wear, but as the player, you realize you had to continue to do your work. You had to go to the cage. You had to take extra ground balls And this team that, as I said, John and Dan, they built, it pushed us all. When Albert Bell, we used to watch Albert's routine, and the routine that Albert had was so fine-tuned. I think for years, we kind of took that, because Albert was a really good player. Albert could, he probably in his time was one of the best clutch hitters in the 90s and could drive runs in like no other. So we as his teammates used to watch him and just all the little, like under pressure, Albert was as good as there was. And that drove us, that drove us young players to try to be like that on top. As you said, then you got Kenny Lofton who's leading off games, maybe one of the most dynamic leadoff hitters of the nineties and his energy from, from at bat one, set the stage how the middle of our lineup was going to perform and then you then you go to then you go to Omar Vizquel then you go to Robbie Alomar then you go to a veteran like Eddie Murray then you add a Dave Winfield you have Sandy who was probably Alomar was really our true leader and number one as the catcher but also what he stood for and everything that he brought to the table from a leader role Sandy, Sandy is probably to me was my biggest guy that I went to. He was always there for his teammates and I will never forget that. Well, then the organization didn't either because they, they've kept him for forever over there in Cleveland yes. and, and, and rightfully so. But, uh, uh, you know, you move on, you, you had that 97 
uh, World Series chance that was just right there and uh, unfortunately kind of, you know, came up short to, you know, to my Florida Marlins. But anyway, I digress uh, <laughs> when we got you back in that day. But uh, this team was built for winning. Uh, and, and I just can't, you know, as far as yourself, where did you see yourself once you established and then you started to becoming, you know, there's this, because there was several power guys there. Manny, Manny drove in 165 runs, if I'm not mistaken, one year. But you were learning and churning. And then all of a sudden, you know, then, you know, by I think that, that the latter half of that decade that plus that you were there, you became the, 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 the key guy. Yeah. And I think that goes back to the early 90s and the role that those other guys had set for us. We learned, we learned, we watched. The, the other guy I think we really need to talk about is Charlie Manuel, what Charlie meant from the hitting side and what, how much time and how much work we all put in. And that was driven by Charlie Manuel. That was every day Charlie was at the ballpark, whether you were a bench guy, whether you were an everyday guy, or whether you were a young player. What I admire most about Charlie Manuel is how he treated every guy on the roster he ultimately wanted the bench guy the everyday guy the young prospect to learn and to to be that player charlie's saying was know thyself and if you knew yourself then he could work with you if you were if you were a line drive let's say say a guy that hit for an average and you tried to be a home run hitter charlie was very honest about what type of a hitter and player you were. And I think that rubbed off on us. And then we kind of then knew our role and where we were going to go from there and how much we needed to work on that specific type of craft that we were and he defined for us. Really amazing how many names you're dropping that, <laughs> that, that were a part decade. of that Cleveland organization well, Cleveland in the organiz- 90s. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> Scotty, including front office guys, when you think about yes. it, I mean, Shapiro, I mean, John Hart, you know, continued on to great things, uh, yeah. you know, and still is. Yeah, Shapiro's uh, running the Blue Jays. Yeah. O'Dowd yeah. ended up running the, the Rockies John's for with 15 the, years. With, with the Braves. John I Hart's mean, with the Braves. I mean, it's, exactly. It's Incredible. Really, right. uh, like, names from top to bottom, and that's why Cleveland, it, it was really a, what I looked at as a, a powerhouse. It just, yes, there were Cleveland there were definitely Rocks. a few other powerhouses, too, like that, that team in New York, but incredible. It actually gets me thinking, though, Jimmy, do you wish that you spent your whole career with that squad? You know, especially with, I'd say, one of the bigger stories in the past full year in baseball of Freddie Freeman. Do you wish you spent the whole time there? Or I'm guessing here, do you, did you enjoy the variety of, wow, I got to experience a completely different vibe city group yeah. in Philadelphia. I mean, obviously there, there were a number of other teams there, but is staying with one team potentially overrated because for fans in a certain city, it might not be, but then if I'm a fan and I never got to experience a certain player, he might come my way. So I, I think, and even from a business side, I think, I think some in the baseball world would say, no, it's actually good. I know as a broadcaster, trade signings, storylines, right? Freddie against his old team. All of those things really build the entertainment value organically of the sport. So I enjoy 
the story. Like I like to pick on a team, like say if they didn't keep a guy, all of that to me builds the equity of the entertainment factor. So what about you? Is staying with one team potentially overrated? So, so I'll answer in my, you know, I, I had the experience to play in Cleveland a long time and then signing with Philadelphia and looking back, I mean, honestly, like the experience and the growth, the growth of going to from Cleveland to Philly and all the wonderful baseball people I got to meet in Philadelphia and then, and then from Philly going to going to the White Sox, which now I work for, I live here in Chicago and then going on to then Minnesota and then all the wonderful people having an opportunity to spend a summer in Minneapolis, which is one of the best cities there is. And I was so grateful at 40 years old that they brought me aboard and that brotherhood that the, of those teammates that to this day is, is, was, and is incredible. And then, and then going to the Dodgers and then going over to Baltimore on those late runs, trying to help those teams win a championship, being a pinch hitter, learning a new role. Look, I, I, I mean, for me, my, my time in Cleveland was incredible. It was the first opportunity I had to grow. I'm so grateful Number one, that we had the fans there that came and supported us like they did uh, and have a, I think it's 465 consecutive sellouts we had. You know, that's, that's something you can't replace. But I will say this, going to those other organizations for me helped me grow and I will never, I will never look back and, and have any regrets on how it all went because I got to meet some amazing people along the way. Yeah, brother. And, and, and also you walloped a lot of home runs and more importantly, you drove in a lot of runs. I mean, there was a tenure there uh, really from that 97, you know, world series year to pretty much the 06, you know, uh, white Sox. That was a 10 year period there where it was like 40, 30, 33, 37, 49, 52, 47, 42. Then you had, you know, an injury and then 42 along all those lines, all hundred plus pretty much RBI seasons. You were a Mac daddy run producer. I do want to, and, and this show is not so much about the X's and O's, but with you specifically and me having been a former first baseman, you know, yeah. strikeout, you know, home run kind of guy, uh, mostly my success being in Japan, but nevertheless, your opposite field prowess was just at another dimension. And I kind of ushered in some of the other, you know, strong lefties that, that ended up showing mad opposite field power. Where did that really kind of come into Charlie, who was a, a former lefty power hitter himself, help you with that. But at some point you were just, they couldn't with two strikes. If they went away, you were going away and far. So, so this is interesting. We're talking about this because I never thought about hitting the ball the other way. Okay. I'll go back to when we were in triple a and when Charlie moved my back foot on the white line and got me closer to home plate. So the goal there was, is to lay the bat, lay the bat across home plate and to be able to cover so the ball that was on the corner away was now in the middle 
to where I stood. Okay. So now when Charlie did that, one of the things we talked about is, okay, Jim, you've already got plate coverage. You don't need to worry about going the other way. You don't need, you know, the only thing you need to worry about is getting ready to hit and then hitting the ball out front. Now, me hitting the ball the other way came from the ball getting a little bit deeper. It got back on the plate a little bit because, as you know, in a 1-1-1-2-2-2 count, you're not sitting totally on fastball. Those are the balls that creep back on the plate a little bit. And if you have plate coverage, where he aligned me and put me on the plate To this day, I've had people say, man, you hit the ball the other way. So great. I never thought about hitting it that way. I I thought about keeping my shoulders square to center field, but that ball that got back a little bit deeper is the one I would hit the other way. And I, I feel like the plate coverage that Charlie put me on the plate helped that overall, the dynamic of that. Wow. So that's very, you know, because you'll always hear when a guy's struggling, hey, stay back, go the other way. When I think reverse, I think if you're struggling, that means you're not getting ready to hit. And that ball is creeping back. Eventually, you've got to be able to comfortably hit a good fastball out in front of the plate comfortably where my body's not coming forward, but I can get to that pitch but and not be rushed and then if the ball creeps back a little bit with two strikes those are the balls you can hit the other way i love talking this this that, is that right, right there hour. is uh, I, I hope uh some people will encapsulate that because that that one little teaching tool of just moving yourself in and thinking to just get out towards the ball. It's not so much that you're thinking the left field. You're just thinking, let me get in the comfort position. It makes such a big difference for a kid. And and the launch angle and all these other things that they're trying to do with kids nowadays, you, you know, you simplified it, you know, pretty, uh, you know, point A to point B type thing. It's well, making me it's, think. It's having a young son. <laughs> having a young yeah. son, one of the biggest things we talk about is – is getting ready to hit. Am I ready to hit? When the pitcher moves, what is my negative? What's the negative move of a young 14-year-old, a high school kid, a minor leaguer, or a Louis Robert Eloy in the big leagues? And when you watch this, you see how well, especially at the high, high level, how well these guys get themselves ready to hit. And the good ones, the good ones, they're not going to miss. If you miss in the zone, they're going to square a ball up on the barrel. And that's what makes those guys the elite of the elite. This is why it's so easy to <laughs> decipher what Jim Tomey's life after playing days look like. Because, I mean, you light up when we're talking about oh, this category. And I will say, I Jimmy, love it. sometimes we, we do these chats and the player, the former player we're talking to, is lighting up about you know, a, a small business he started or, you know, and it could be in a completely different category like this. And, and obviously you have other interests, but this is clearly your bread and butter and something that you want to continue to help the next generation with. I'm going to guess, because I, I, when I when I start to hear you talk and I'm thinking about our work, you know, together when we've done TV work, 
it's you it, you describe it so um it just it sounds so easy even for somebody that might not know the game at the deepest level right there there is an art to explaining it the way that you do and it makes me think oh like man he should be a, a hitting coach but i'm guessing <laughs> you what you're doing is probably the perfect role now because i'm guessing that jim Tomey doesn't want to spend you know, after all of that half his life on the road again being the first guy there, last guy out going through all the video, like, Hey, let the, uh, you know, let the younger hitting coaches potentially um, handle some of that. And I'll be, yep. I'll be Mac daddy with the big info to oversee some of the uh, advice and be able to relate it the way that I know I can. Yeah. It's, I really feel so fortunate and so blessed that I'm, that I'm able to do the things my during my post retirement that I am, you know, I'm, I'm around my son's 14 U team, which there's nothing better than watching young kids play and learning the game. And then having an opportunity to go to New York and be at the network for three, four days. And that team, that team concept and that fraternity that we have there is very special. It's a group of guys that really, really have a lot of great input, can give a lot of great advice. And you learn that, man, this is like a clubhouse feel. And then being around the White Sox that I am, I get to go to spring training and then be a part of what we've tried to grow there and build a World Series team, which <clears throat> we're hoping is going to happen very soon, is such a wonder. I, it's to work for Mr. Reinsdorf and be around Mr. Jerry for, you know, the, the, the eight years that I have been, it's just been incredible. I'm so lucky. I, I, and then now to come aboard and be president of the alumni association and be a part of that great team and to, to learn from that uh, fraternity as well. I feel very fortunate. You're doing it right. And, and, oh, I know before you, you drop your, your big stuff too. I just, I wanted to get one more in there yeah, with yeah. me about uh, your, your accomplishments, your honors, your awards. What's the most meaningful one to you? If you could pick out one, you know, one oh. moment, it could be a milestone. It could be an award. You know, I was looking through everything, you know, it could be a time that you led the league in a category where maybe you, felt like you really had to persevere. I, of course, will drop regardless the fact that, I mean, you won the Lou Gehrig Memorial Award in 2004, which is given to players who best exemplify Lou's character and integrity on and off the field. So, you know, there, there's a lot, I'm sure, to look back on, but is there one moment that really stands out well, to you? I, I would say, I would say the, the Clemeni, the Clemeni Award. Mm, yeah. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why was, you know, when you win the Clemeni Award, uh, you realize you don't do it alone. You do it with, you do it with an organization. You do it with your mom and dad. You do it with your wife. You do it with people that you care about. And it's not in the player wins it. I get it, but it's not like that at all. When you win that award, uh, it's almost like this sense of true teammates. We're all doing this together. And that, that really, that one for me about what Roberto Clemente stood for and what he was as a man. And, and that, that to me is the, I think the one that I really, 
that I really cherish the most for sure. It's hard not to. That was a, that was a special human being, uh, being an Hispanic player myself from back in the day. All right. So brother, you've covered and God bless you. Cause you've, we've taken your time, you know, and you've, no, I've loved every, it. This great. You've, loved, you've covered everything, uh, from young to old to, to good and bad, man. So, uh, now it's the time for fun a little bit. We got the, the time for no way Jose. So you got to give us a player, a situation, a memory, a time. It could have been multiple players. I don't know, but uh, definitely someone zany. I think you had a few in your day that you can uh, tell us about a, a particular story or two that come to mind. I'll first start with the Manny story <laughs> of going in the clubhouse. Manny. You know, uh, like, for example, I might be looking for where's my stirrups or a guy might be looking for slider shorts or their pants or the shirt they wear underneath of their BP top. And Manny would have them on in fun, in a fun, loving, joking kind of way. Manny was always the guy. And this is what I admired most about Manny. He always kept everyone loose. He always kept everyone this family fun loving feel where we were all true teammates and uh, he'd drive you crazy. Trust me, he'd drive <laughs> you crazy doing it. But, but those are things. And then I'll go on to Sean Casey. Sean Casey is the best storyteller there is. And I'm going to let you guys have Sean Casey on your show because he is the, he is the, I'm telling you, Sean has some stories that are absolutely priceless and nothing will match the Sean Casey stories. I promise. Like we've gone to dinner and literally he takes over the platform and tells stories. So I'm, I'm going to leave that one for him. Okay. And uh, you have to get Sean Casey on the show. He will, he will tell you things and great stories like I've never heard. The Sean Casey effect, I guess, is going to be called. Yeah, right? you feel like you're there. I've, I've done some dinners with Case. I've done, yeah. you know, because I've, yeah, I've done a, over a decade in in television and baseball, and and he was with me for all those years too. So, yeah, you feel like you're there. The energy, the laughs, you know, it's one of those infectious laughs. I'm with you. He's, yes. he's definitely on the list. We can exchange some stories and, and definitely talk about what he's bringing to the table right now too, in terms of what he's doing in multiple media entities. So yeah, that's great. I mean, I, I figured, you know, Manny, I'll say this too about Manny. I came across him, you know, cause by the time he, I was kind of catching the end of his career by the time I was in, in working in the industry, but um, when he was a coach with the Chicago Cubs, you know, cause sometimes like to the, general fans out there that are just following Manny you're like oh there's all these stories yeah like you said he can drive you crazy he's he's you know getting some trouble the whole deal and then I come across him personally and he was grooming many of the young Cubs players mentoring them they loved him it's like they were inseparable there there was a group that surrounded Manny at all times that was just asking him about life about of course hitting and then he was really good with th this, this part. I love too, Jimmy, and I'm sure you'd appreciate this. He was really good with, Hey, I know who I was. Sometimes yeah. I made mistakes. Let me be the guy that prevents you from making that. Cause I already did that. So, Hey, let me, let me, 
instead of wasting your time doing this, like it could even be something routine oriented, like don't do that. That's a waste. Or you're taking too many hacks or not enough hacks, or you're doing it wrong, whatever it is all the way to, Hey, let me tell you a story about when I got in a little trouble. And let me tell you why, by you hearing this, you're going to become a better person, a better man, a better baseball player, a better teammate, because you're not going to do the same thing I did. Cause I just told you about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, like, like the other guy that stands out for me is a great teammate. He was a bench type player. I played with him in Philly and in Minnesota was Nick Punto. The Nick mm. Puntos of the world, their roles, what they mean to each team, what Nick used to do to fire us up and get us, even our everyday uh, players ready to play. He knew his role. Like, I think to be a good bench guy and you you have to know your role. He knew it very well, but he also loved each guy. Every guy on that team, on both of those teams, and and the stories are endless. I mean, you know, the, the getting guys fired up, getting Joe Maurer in the tunnel. Joe and I used to have fun with the little empty water jug, like, Punto initiated all of that and it got us motivated as everyday players. So I had to throw that out because those are the most important guys. Those guys that, that at the end of the day, they know their roles really well and they're great leaders at the end of the day. It was great. And Oh, those are the guys also. I've, I've talked about this. I I love talking to the hall of famers like, like Jimmy T and we've, we've talked to many. Um, but I also definitely want to make sure we get some combos yeah, in buddy. the puntos of the, that's the beauty of what we're doing, which I'm sure you'll love, Jimmy, is that hey, we'll, we'll any former player is game pretty much. Obviously, right. yeah, we might come across a current one or here or two or here or there, but this is what we're all about. So hey, Scotty, hey, yeah. Jimmy T was outstanding, and you know what? In the lounge, Jim Tomey was our homie. There no you go, him. man. <laughs> hey, it's been a pleasure, guys. Great dude. I'll say this too. Great leader, because I know I mentioned before the interview started, oh, that, you know, Jim can make anyone feel like you guys are tight. You're close. And that's a great leadership quality. He also can command a room, which is why he's running the MLB Players Alumni Association and why, you know, he is so engaging as a person. There's no doubt about it. And uh, and he's still now. But one of the things that I got from our interview how passionate he is about baseball and the fans and not leaving the game per se, I think for one, just one year. And then boom, here comes the White Sox, a team that, 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 you know, he didn't play as much as he did Scotty B as he did with like, for example, you know, Cleveland or Philadelphia, but there's a team that just, you know, loved him and, and he's loving them back by being involved with them and he you know you could just hear the passion in his voice about engaging with these young talented hitters like Abreu and Moncada etc so uh, I just love it a great piece man and um, I I love the fact that these are the good guys representing Major League Baseball and I think he would as along with everyone else appreciate at least one of the this week in baseball topics. So let's start with June 6, 1941. The New York Giants, not the football team, they were baseball back then, became the first team to wear protective headgear using plastic helmets. 
in their game against the Pittsburgh <laughs> Pirates. Yes, helmets were not always a thing, which is ridiculous. Right. Yeah, but think about it. What in the the 30s and stuff like that? Did they have helmets in in, in the NFL and football, whatever the league it was at that time? They probably no. just had these like leather things they put on their hat and their head, and that was it. So uh to think that the guys by then, you're coming into the era of the Bob Fellers and the Bob Lemons, and you know, and then soon thereafter, Drysdale, Gibson, guys throwing literally 95 and 100 miles an hour. Uh, yeah, I'm glad I wore a helmet because I did get hit a few times. <laughs> Good point. Good point. And one more. And I mentioned this one because of a guest coming up soon, too, is June 7th, 1986. A little this week in baseball action after being skipped over because scouts are convinced the Heisman Trophy winner is headed to the NFL. Bo Jackson gets taken in the fourth round by the Kansas City Royals. He played some baseball, folks. I know he played some football, but he played some baseball, too. And he probably would have been a legend in Holy either cow. sport if he didn't get hurt, unfortunately, in football. I just got to play against him in spring training. Uh, and um, just neat to be. It was really neat to be on the field with a few guys that that were just, when you looked at them, you go, holy cow. Ricky Henderson was definitely one. Dave Winfield was another one. Uh, Michael Jordan, having gotten to play against him when he was with the White Sox and just the spring training, obviously. And then Bo Jackson. Um, my goodness. I mean, just the physique alone, the legs, the body, the swing. And, uh, and you know, those, those scouts were worried that he was going to play football. Well, they were right. He did play football and he played it great. And, and I think he would have ended up being in the Hall of Fame for both. He was that good that I think, Scotty, tell me if you don't agree, that he could have played. 10 plus years in each league and been an all-star, you know, throughout all those leagues. Those yeah, years. of course. So, no uh, doubt. I think, I think it was, it wasn't for the hip, you know, the tackle from behind that, 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 you know, just damaged his hip too, too dramatically. We'll have an episode coming soon with Brian Jordan, who also played football Looking in the that. NFL and baseball in MLB. Time for Where Are They Now? Make it a weekly thing. And Mark Hamilton, who played some first base for the St. Louis Cardinals in the 2010-2011 time period, then went to Tulane, back to school, to complete the bachelor's in neuroscience. And then goes to med school, graduates recently in 2020, began residency specializing in interventional radiology and a field mm. of medicine that has applications fighting cancer, heart disease, viruses, and more. And he was inspired to pursue medicine by his father, who was a doctor, Dr. Stanley Hamilton. So I don't think there are many players that go on from baseball to becoming a doctor, especially having a neuroscience degree, but I no. commend you immensely. And if anything, I'm like, well, you know, I, I think that world probably could use you more so than the baseball world. So, so welcome. And thank you for being a part of medicine. Uh, but, but again, the talent that, that some human beings have both male and female, it's gotta be, you know, it's just so awe-inspiring to me in life because this guy was talented enough to play at the highest level you know, in, in a particular sport and then go on and, uh, you know, also his brain was smart enough to, you know, to take on neuroscience and, and, and cancer and the radio, you know, this is, this is a special person and definitely should be uh, mentioned and commended. 
That's correct. And with that, the lounge is closed. We'll see you next week. The Legends Lounge Podcast is brought to you by Major League Alumni Marketing. Hit us with questions or comments at legendslounge at mlbpaa.com. Check out our memorabilia at mlamauthentics.com. Later, Legends. Legends.